The landscape of WWE, once ruled by modern-day titans, powerful warriors. The Ultimate Warrior! Gallant competitors. Macho Man Randy Savage. And immortal icons. Hulkamania is running wild! All fortifying their legacy through acts of valor and feats of strength. Look at this! He's landed! But as time passed, a new generation of heroes emerged. Flamboyant show stealers. the heartbreak kid. Excellent executors. And gaudy bad guys. All on the rise in WWE. With the fall and departure of Hulkamania from WWE, this wave of brash, unapologetic, and charismatic superstars displayed an explosive in-ring style unlike any generation before it. And launched the careers of future WWE Hall of Famers. Excellence of execution. And let's face it. With a new generation. Hello everyone, welcome to Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. Hello. Scott was out here to my good friend and co-host Paul Bear. Hello. And we're here today to do, for now it's just called the top five uh, of, and their subject here for this week, the top five underrated new generation matches. <laughs> I'm sure we'll come up with a wacky name. Us two still haven't properly come up with a name for our Fraser review, even though we've been doing it no, almost no. as long as this podcast has been a thing. But well, I'm sure we'll come up with a wacky name we for will. this for this show, you know. But for now, it's just the top five. This is just the pilot episode. So much <laughs> will change by the time we get to the second edition, whenever that happens, you know. But I'm really looking forward to this idea because we talked about it at the end of last week's episode. If you you might check that out, uh, we talked about the fact that under underrated top five <laughs> new gen generations. <laughs> well, it won't always be underrated kind of things. We'll talk about, but you know, we'll. This is a this is an off air discussion. You know, we'll have a big meeting with a big board, all sorts of ideas going around. Yeah, <laughs> what he means is we'll sit with a notepad and a few drinks, just be staring at each other like, hey, how about this one? No, oh, that's shite. <laughs> usually, we get we get the good ideas. Usually, when we're a bit pissed, though. So, I came up yeah. with the idea to do the, for this as a subject when I was a bit pissed. T- titles pish and politics, even though you changed the titles politics and pish. I thought you I thought you said titles politics. No, I said titles pish and politics because it rolled off the tongue better. I thought it, well, I thought titles politics and pish rolled off the tongue better. Well, you were but, wrong. Well, you shouldn't have to piss rolling off the tongue in any any context. But anyway, back to this. I think because we've been watching a lot of new gen stuff over the course of this podcast, we have. We I thought this was a good subject to to start because Paul, I don't know where you stand, but I'm sure you, uh, as somebody who's been watching longer than me, I think. You may you may also remember like times of the, watching them the new gen like the paper yeah. and everything and uh, the only way your opinion is of like the way that the new generation is often looked back on or presented the new by newer the new by generation fans is a lot of time by newer fans or fans in this era is looked mm-hmm. on in two ways it's mm-hmm. either looked as laughable and negative mm-hmm. or it's looked upon fondly I look upon it fondly. Yeah, you know, because it, like, when I was growing up, I grew up in the time period of golden era in, in new gen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was born the year Hogan won his first title. For God's sake, 
Mm-hmm. Well, his first WWF mm-hmm. heavyweight title. I was born that same year. So by the time the new gen was really in its swing in 94, I'd have been the right age for it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think like, WWE documentaries don't help uh, either because also when they do these documentaries, but they actually what they do love to do. Yeah. They have to talk about well, how bad things were before the See, Attitude Era so they could kick off this boom period. Well, that is, they always do that to big up the Attitude Era, but I think a lot of the time even the WWE itself mm-hmm. now is very critical of its own product back then, but I think the product then, although for a grand scheme kind of way, it was poor. Yeah. There was, like we're going to look at here, yeah. there was some really good little snippets of good talent and good wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And good storylines as well, I thought. Yeah, because this provided an opportunity for people like Brett and Sean to really well, yeah, come into well, their own. Well, you're thinking about, like, if you're thinking about the WWF coming off with Golden Era, right? Mm-hmm. You'd, really talk about the steroid scandal. Yeah. And before that, the biggest stars in the WWF were, quite literally, the biggest stars. Some jacked motherfuckers. You got, like, Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. You had Davey Boy. Mm -hmm. You had the Berserker. You had fucking uh, Ultimate Warrior, obviously. You had Hercules. (laughs) Big, big, big. You you had the Road Warriors. Yeah. yeah. You you had some big, muscular and roided-up motherfuckers, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then the steroid scandal hit, <laughs> and due to that alone, I think, and probably a few other things, <laughs> you know, Vince had to completely change his whole, like, I can't promote these big fucking <laughs> growth hormone-induced freaks, yeah. I've got to promote athletes, you know, athletic-looking people. And, like, there was guys who had been thrust in the spotlight, these newer people, because obviously they hadn't been, also these guys may not have yeah. been in the spotlight as much with these previous guys here, so these were new, they were the yeah. new, because you had... Sean and Brett, Razor, who's always insanely over yeah, yeah, the one, two, three Sean, shit. Sean, Brett, Kids, Razor, Diesel, uh, you know, Lex, Lex you know, you had, you had lots of, lots, well, you know, lots of guys, but you had specific guys yeah. because by this period, if you remember rightly, mm-hmm. because of the steroid scandal and because of people going to other places or, yeah. or just being like, go, the. So the roster size yeah. and the, the amount of top tier guys they yeah. had by that point was compared to WCW anyway yeah. was very limited yeah you yeah. know the 95 rumble really puts a bad yeah. spotlight on that yeah it really does it really does because I mean by the time they get to the final two you basically had two of our main guys in the final two you know yeah you know and a main guy probably for a Putting his personal life aside, if he could have got a hold on that, he would probably have been a proper top guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you know there was there was so much um, mm-hmm. there was so many things happening in, internally in the WWF and in wrestling at the time as well. Yeah, yeah. With the new gen kicking off, I think so we were basically like when the new gen kicked off. I think the WWF particularly was starting in a sense with a clean a clean slate. Yeah, you know, like get the roided concert. Mm-hmm. Promote the guys you would never have fucking dreamed of promoting <laughs> a couple of years previous, you know what I mean? Because let's face it, before like that kicked off, yeah. you wouldn't have seen Sean or Brett mm-hmm. being really put in that position. The only guy out of the new gen era mm-hmm. who kind of fit the profile yeah. was Diesel. Yeah. And it, maybe Lex. Because like, you see, like, his Brett, 
Because Diesel was a big guy, but he did clearly wasn't on the right or didn't show obvious signs compared to someone like a, a Hogan or a Warrior as being that guy. Yeah. But then you see even, even Yoko, like he had his issues with his weight, but he was a big monster yeah. who clearly wasn't on the right. And then in, in the new and early in the new gen era, era he was still uh-huh. he could go. Yeah, he he could go. He could yeah. go. Yeah. And like so, like you see, like guys like Brent and Sean taking the belt, but in between, Vince still can't help himself but go back to the monster. So that's why you get a Yoko with a long title reign or Diesel holding the title for like yeah. a year. Well, Even Yoko do- held it for a year too, I think. Yeah. Well, run about because I'll say they lost it. I say mm. about nine months because he lost that Mania to Hogan, then King of the Ring, and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, all that. You know, semantics. Yeah, and then technically, even though we maybe may not count it as new gen, then you get Sid having that brief run and. Before that, originally it was going to be Vader, who was agile for a big guy. He was hopefully he was maybe, a very agile big guy. I think in a way he was almost what the worst Yoko could have been if he'd lost that weight. Given that he was, when you see him Yoko doing these dark matches, as the great Kokina thing he was. It was all yeah, face, great Kokina. He was like came out. He was very agile. He was like one of the the head shrinkers. Yeah, or yeah. Thing, or like Kishi was. Uh, and well, if he if he didn't enjoy going to Undertaker's barbecues and eating mayonnaise dipped <laughs> turkey butts, <laughs> he would have been fine. <laughs> but or if him and Vader didn't go to McDonald's when they were supposed to be at a weight loss clinic, mm-hmm. <laughs> we would have been fine. But then, like a lot of things is highlighted is the uh, the cartoon again, which is uh, the the insane insistence on you must be a wrestler, but also randomly have a day job, which she also managed to fit in around your weird wrestling travel yeah, schedule. Like, like a, a clown, or a garbage man. Or a plumber. Or, or a hog farmer. Yeah, something like that. and that is a prominent part of it, but at least, it's not like these guys were promoted as main eventers. Even, but then again, we think about it. Then you think you think about <laughs> it, like, with the exception of, like, maybe you could say, to the most cartoony gimmick to get into, like, the title scene really was somebody like a uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett, the whole country singer, ain't that great? Kind of thing. But like, even then, like. That strut was gold, though. Uh, like, these guys weren't really <laughs> cracking the mid card, but then again, that means that basically your mid card main event had to revolve around a certain small like handful of guys that yeah. we've already mentioned. And, you know, you had your. I mean, you had Tatanka now. He's a, I've never been the biggest Tatanka like fan. And I liked him. I, I never. Well, I never liked him, mm-hmm. but I liked. His in-ring work. No, it was around toward the beginning of the new genre, who and Bizarre didn't stick around. It was like Rick Martel. Really, we thought the model gimmick would have been made for that new genre. He was era. a great wrestler. He was. He was very underrated. I thought. Now, even in the gold era, you had some mad gimmicks like El Matador, Tito <laughs> Santana, and who else do we have in the sort the of repo like, man. the Repo Man? Poor Barry, Barry uh, Darso. Darso, that was it. Couldn't catch it, but he got the Reaper Man, then went to WCW, had that match with Dustin, they both bladed, and then they both got sacked. <laughs> and you know, apparently, what other weird gimmick he had, he was mostly wrestling like WCW, like Pro or World Ride of the Sea shows on this gimmick, but he still managed to hold on for a couple of years and still get paid. But he had this weird wrestling golfer gimmick, which is rightfully not talked about. Well, talk about another weird golfer gimmick. Let's not let's not forget Kerwin White. No, let us definitely forget <laughs> Kerwin White with it, with, with Dolph Ziggler as his caddy. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or if you or if you will, Deacon Batista. <laughs> I think something that affected the generation. I think widely badly point, especially by guys who were involved at the time, was because business. I think it's because of the fact that sandwiched between the Golden Era, where Hulk Hogan selling it massive, say like the like WrestleMania three stuff like that. 
like making all this money and then they added to a big boom wrestling's mainstream again people wearing deep dx and austin 316 and nwo shirts and all that shit sandwiched in between is a lull and the fact that, that it was a lull is not probably back on the highest <coughs> regard and also the fact that the steroid trail did take a big dip towards that because even though 92 really is where in the u.s the uh perception towards wrestling because hogan lied on TV, say I never abused steroids. No, it was my vitamins and my prayers. Uh, he, I think in ninety two, like that's like the decline in popularity in the US. Like they weren't selling it one or two shows, which is why they made the decision to like fuck it. We're still popular in the UK. They never get to see us. Let's take SummerSlam over there. Yeah. Uh, and then. So he took Mister Mister Growth Hormone over there to wrestle his more competent cousin. And go. Brett, I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah. No, wait, no, his brother-in-law. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So the, the big muscly, the big muscly junk freak won the IC title at Wembley. To an admittedly big pop, but you notice how quickly he lost it afterwards. Yeah, and you notice who he lost it to. Yes, yes, I know. But, uh, do, do you remember who he lost it to? To Sean. Hell yes. And, like, what's interesting... Is like the, the Sarah Trail carried on after that, though. I think 94, like in the weeks leading up to SummerSlam, uh, McMahon is officially found not guilty. Like, so it's carried on to the early 90s, and then 95, business wise, is thought as obviously the worst period in, in the company. Like, WCW weren't doing that well, even though they debuted Nitro. So, 95 is widely considered by those work, work, working within it as like, is that was a bad year, like, yeah. overall. Because attendance were down, a lot of that, and maybe fairly unfairly, depending on your opinion, got put on Diesel as the champion. Yeah, like I remember some. I he just lo- had the wrong title at the wrong time. Well, I remember, I remember he was chatting about it actually actually after he lost the title. Like, oh, I seem to be like I think people keep saying that. Hey, I'm the lowest paid WF champion of all time. Apparently, one of the Rodians, I'm going to see Gerald Briscoe. It sounds like it may have been him, but it could have been anyone. But one of the Rodians just shouted out, I'm basically putting his place. That's because you're the lowest drawing champion of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, talking to Diesel, Kevin Nash, mm-hmm. I sometimes, when I'm, you know, bored, watch his shoot interviews on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And my favourite one of his is always the one where he's talking about the match between him and Brett. Yeah. The cage match for mm-hmm. the title. I mean, The Undertaker piped up and he was, uh, to use, to quote Kevin Nash, he's like, The Undertaker, who, you know, still, he never says anything. He jumps up and he's like, Motherfucker, not everything is about you. <laughs> you gotta do a lot of piss off Taker. Yeah, yeah, but apparently, Brett, you know, we bitch about taking, you know, Diesel's finish. Yeah. You're like, and take nothing away from Brett, fantastic wrestler. Mm hmm. Great fucking legend in the sport, but he partly could be a bit of a bitch at times. Yeah, I'm, you know? I'm a lot really, I'm really early into his his book right now. Brett's book. Yeah, Brett's book. I got it for my Christmas. God. What did you did you read it? Go. Wow. <laughs> you make that joke Wah. literally every time I bring up the book. Are you going to do that every time? Yes. <laughs> but I'm that's, not. It's that's not, what it's like when I watch his DVD. It's like like an hour's worth of wow, contract wow. <laughs> Wow, creative control in the last 30 days. Wow. I don't know where I was going next because you put me off track there. But anyway, let's let's talk about our parameters that we've set here because we had some, we had we had to have a bit of a discussion. And do you want do you want a rocks or paper one one go to see who goes first? I was actually going to let you go first. I was going to be nice. Oh, okay, no rocks or paper then. I'll do it for a laugh. Go cool. on. One, two, three. Yeah. Fuck. Best three. Ah, ah, bastards. <laughs> so, 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 so you know, because it's an audio medium, we both went scissors, and then I thought, okay, 
he's probably going to go triangle scissors again, try and catch me. I'll go rock that crusty scissors. Nope, he goes oh, paper. I went paper and caught you out. But then again, I already told you I was going to let you go first anyway. Ha! You know what? As bad as he is, he's worse when he loses. <laughs> he's a lot worse when he loses. Yeah, I am. Um. But anyway, let's talk about the parameters because we had to set the side because a lot of errors are defined by it started here and then ended at this period. And I said, I believe, we're about SummerSlam or even Survivor Series 92, I believe personally that's the beginning of the new gen. Even if they weren't saying, running those weird ads, like new generation, and maybe end late 96, you said that you felt that it technically ends running about the formation of the new world order. Uh, well, I, I believe so, because I think when you when you World Order forming really did, you know, it really did shake things up. Yeah. Because I don't think when you World Order had formed, mm-hmm. I don't if it hadn't formed, I don't think we would have got the change in WWF that we got. Yeah, yeah. You know, because Vince, from what I've read, I mean, I don't know the fucking man. Yeah, of course. But what I've read and we'd heard... I'd like, like to know more about that freaking that weird like man. To, I would like to have his fucking bank balance, but there you go. <laughs> No, less said about that, the better. Mm. All the bitterness is strong in the poor. Mm-hmm. I know, I am. Mr. I'm po- Mr. My company's posting record profits. Sorry, talented wrestler. Budget cuts. Off you go. Yeah. <sighs> Anywho. It doesn't matter. The fiend will come back and kill him. Anyway, you were saying about... But no, no. Um, He's very pig-headed from what I mm-hmm. have heard. Yeah. You know, and I don't think if if, if he hadn't had the shaters put up on the WCW, uh-huh. he would have changed his tact. Uh-huh. You know, because if it wasn't for the NWO, we wouldn't have got the Attitude Era. We wouldn't have got DX. And, and you can, and you're right to think that because a lot of people talk about the decline in like the mid two thousands, mid to late two thousands of Call of Duty. And a lot of that is even though there were other companies out there, none of them were as serious a competition to WC to him as WCW or because prior to but it's awfully taken over in like 90, prior to 95, WCW never really turned a profit. 95 was the first year they probably turned a profit, as myself lays out and he's a podcast 83 weeks, which for a while I was big into. Yeah. To, into and there were times where he occasionally lost me when he was talking about the financial sit a bit with Turner, but then there was one time I was on a bus and some kid was shouting his head off, so I'm turning up like, yes, Eric, tell me all about those Turner financials for the year 95. I'm really interested. I want to block out all this weird shit that's going on around me. But. So he was making WCW profitable to the point where Turner executives weren't embarrassed to uh, to have that on the network, with the exception of Ted, obviously. Ted yeah. always stuck up for, for WCW and insisted that he has it on his network. But I said that really does put the shares up because he had a reason to. And also he wasn't just taking the big guys. He's also managing to take people like Scott and Kevin, who he did make stars, but he was making them, putting them on a different level with the, with the oh, NWO. Yeah, yeah. So... You said about the formation there. So I believe that Bachelor Beach 96, from what I can recall, happens a week before an international incident. So yeah. I thought we, we just basically extended it a little bit. So we're going from SummerSlam 92 to SummerSlam 96, which I think is a decent enough you know, cap of time because I think we both mutually agreed 97 can't really be considered new generation. I don't even think I don't think necessarily it's the attitude there either. I think 97 is its We should do a podcast on this, discussing it more. That's its own weird spot in wrestling history where it can't, do, it can't really be defined by any real error we could do a, we could do a show on uh, oh how to put it we could do a show on the the years between or yeah. the time between yeah because yeah. I think 97 similar to, similarly 
2000, like all people say, oh, WrestleMania, X7, that was the end of the year, but July or June 2000, where Vince gives that speed, that's the beginning of Wrestler's Aggression. So what's the whole Invasion, Entimania, X8 and, and brand split? Yeah. What's all that time in between? That's a, that's similar to 97, and it's their own little years in between where they can't really be defined by a particular period in time. But I must say, I am I am most desperate to get into this because I, know, I, want, yeah. I, wanna, I want to say my pits. I know, but like we got to also outline... Where what you know where how we define what is the new generation from what from when it begins to when it ends because I've got one match in particular where I think I'll explain why I wanted uh, why I believe SummerSlam ninety two and Survivor Series ninety two that why I believe that's the official beginning of this era. All right, but yeah, I think because like late ninety six we've already started seeing it. We have got Brian Pelman, we got Stone Cold Steve Austin, we got Mankind as the old version. The still gold is still the proper t- version. They still got OG like gay panic to a better for lack of a better term gold dust. Gay dust. Yeah, playing on people's is, blatant homophobia. Is he, is he no dust? <laughs> is he mystery dust? <laughs> Mr. Dust. <laughs> that person who, that conservative member in your family can't say, are they gay? They have to make a weird motion. You know, are they, you know... Mm. Mr. Scary Sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Randomly feeling them up. I thought we could take out of context in today's life. <laughs> I'm going first. Yes, well, you are going first. So, Paul, we're going to go five, and my five, your four, my four. We'll go back and forth. We'll have a discussion on each match and our choices. So, Paul, I we, we generally don't know what each other's matches are, so we could have some other similar ones. We could not. But before you give me your five, have any of these five, have we actually talked about any of these five on the podcast before? Uh, I believe in the context of covering... Shows we yeah. have talked about them, yes. I believe two of the matches on my list we have actually talked about before, but we'll get into that later on. But Paul, I'm desperate to know your number five, please. Well, my number five is from King of the Ring '93. Oh, and it is Bam Bam v Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I think that's underrated. No, it's gone. I actually know that was on June 13, '93. Uh huh. Six six thousand five hundred attendance. Hmm. Dayton, Ohio, and I, I genuinely thought that with that match, because I always knew that Bam Bam was very underutilised and oh, never got a chance to be himself, especially in the WWF. Oh. Maybe in his early, early career, mm-hmm. but not properly, mm-hmm. right? And I always liked Hacksaw. Mm-hmm. And I thought genuinely, like I wrote in my notes here, I thought it was a good early show match, right? Yeah. With a good example of grappling and a great showing for Bam Bam mm-hmm. well, and it never made Duggan look overly weak neither like it played on the fact that he got hurt during the match mm-hmm. and he still made an attempt to like lift Bam Bam slam he gave a good account he said I thought it was you know I thought like I never usually see Bam Bam or Hacksaw doing any particular grappling mm-hmm. it was just the case like Hacksaw's a big powerful dude mm-hmm. Bam Bam's a big powerful athletic dude but I'd never really seen them grapple. But in that match, it was like it was a good wee bit of mat wrestling, good holds. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great match. And mm-hmm. personally, for me, it's, it's underrated because I think both of those guys mm-hmm. were underrated. I mean, especially Axel, the guy that won the first ever fucking Royal Rumble. Yeah, you could, you could. Did say- he ever win a fucking title? And the WWE, no. You know, he was. He did a brief reign as WCW US champion. Yeah, but he never won a. A big belt. No, not in WWE, but uh, you know, he 
And when we look at King of the Ring 93, we talked about that. It was our first show on Under Rogue Opinions. But I think any match that doesn't involve Brett, you can count as underrated because Brett just steals the whole show with with Perfect, Razor, and, and Bam Bam later on. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, given that also Bam Bam's only other match in the night was going to be against Brett because the old day that Brett's knackered by the final, but Bam Bam's had a bit of a rest because he got a bye in the second round. Yeah. So he had to basically wanted to highlight just how dominant he is. You had to do it in that match. And if I'm. If I'm right in saying one of it's probably Hacksaw's last pay per view match before he does end up leaving WWE for a while, going to WCW, we would come back every so often for, you know, he's like nostalgia, you know, pops every so often when to do a legend show. So, you know, using his last bit, using his, his bit of stalker because he was always popular with Hacksaw, even though he was never positioned as the number one guy. But he used his time, his power to take it out of get Bam Bam over. Yeah. And it was a very quick match, and also the idea of him getting to quick match, looking dominant, and also going in as the fresh monster against a, a weary Bret Hart. Yeah. But going overall, King of the Ring for the most part is a solid match, even though I don't like Hogan and his matches falling. He, you know, a, a typical Hogan Ray monster fair, like, at least he loses. Yeah, at least he loses. <laughs> he loses. So that's an interesting pick, uh, Bam Bam V. Uh, yeah, that was, my, that was my five. Is that anything else? No, 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 no. Now, you might look at it very contrasting compared to what my number five is, and you may think, oh, how can a match like this with these two and it be underrated? Well, I'll tell you why. Just think, well, when it, when I, when you when you think of the HBK Bret Hart rivalry, yeah, you, I assume, well, like most people probably think of either Montreal or they think of the Iron Man match. Well, I. Think of that one. I think of Iron Man. I also think if you remember their title v title at Survivor Series. That's my number five. That's your number five. Bret Hart versus HBK Survivor Series nineteen eighty two. Because I remember, I know you, someone like you, who is definitely a big Sean fan, would might remember this. But this is why I said this is when the when the new almost saying this is aggression when the new generation starts because it kicks off with these two guys who will help define the era. Both as the two top singles champions in the WWF, you got HBK coming in as the IC champ. His belt's not online, but he's going after Brett yeah. and his world championship. The end of the match. Last thing you're gonna hear, Shawn Michaels, Intercontinental Champion and new <laughs> World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion, just left the building. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets to cut that promo. You got Brett's promo. I was put all back because Brett's hair is just tangling over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. like, my God, man, fix your hair. <laughs> but, faggy Santa promo. <laughs> I didn't watch the Santa bit, but... Uh, Come on, at the end of the fucking paper, he's sitting there on Santa's it. knee. <laughs> fucking Brett Hart and the stupids. <laughs> Fuck Brett Hart. Fuck uh, him. Anyway, but Brett's knee is actually going to come up once a few times on my, my list because... He had so many high-profile matches that some he, of them, I think... He comes up on my list once. He had, I think he, he had so many high-profile matches this year that some of them kind of go under the radar, I think. Mm. You got Brett and Sean, like, they do less, so for some people, might seem a bit slow. I think if you don't like the Iron Man match, then there might be elements of this match that you, that you don't if like. If you don't like the Iron Man match when there's something wrong with your head. But, like, it's like you got... Brett kind of talking about in his promo for, I know how scientific he <coughs> is in commentary, build up how great scientifically that. Brett is. You got Vincent Heenan working very well together on commentary, building up, and you know, oh, 
Like, he was the greatest technical champion we've ever had. And like, oh, no, Ric Flair. But, yeah, but who did Brett beat for the title? And then, and he ends up rooting on Sean. And Sean does have great bad control after the early bit because yeah. Brett's kind of showing off his scientific... Yeah, remember, this is, this is the time period before Sean had debuted the uh, Sweet Chin as his finisher. Yeah, because like I think his finisher at this point was a backbreaker or some it was kind a back, of thing. It was like a backdrop. So it was called the teardrop. So like, I think it was oh, perfect or razor. One of the two basically said to him back, "Hey man, you have a pretty good super kick. Why is that not your finisher?" And yeah, Sean's kind of like, huh, "Why isn't it my finisher?" Because like there was a point where he catches Brett with super kick and then falls into the ropes. He's all knackered, but Brett's just laid out flat. Yeah. So at that point, if it was his main finisher, he would have finished Brett. Because eventually, when he gets up, he tries to pick. Brett up for his teardrop so like, and that's where things begin to go wrong for Sean so mm. and the way Brett Sean cost himself his own ego kind of cost himself the match but yeah. I think it was all, also when you think about it this is the most high profile match Sean has had to, to point as the singles guy because we, yeah, yeah. we looked at Rumble 92 where Sean has just become a singles guy he's debuted his new like heartbeat kid look with yeah. the white and the, the big well, shades and everything the white the big shades the huge earrings but not the hearts yet not yet but I do like in this Match, he has that classic Sean Luke with the white, but with a bit of red, and the red has to be black lines. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's like with Sean attire you would get to see, but just not hearts. It's, as I used to say, just like little splodges. Yeah. And he's talking about his promo finally. You made the what seemingly seemed the almost invincible, invincible uh, British Bulldog. Like, Let me ask you, who did Bulldog beat to become the European no champion? Well, well Bret Hart. Yes, and who did I beat? Become the Intercontinental Champion. Oh, British Bulldog, everyone knows that. Well, he's basically doing the math. Basically, that means if he, Bulldog can beat Bret and he can beat Bulldog, that means he can beat Bret Hart. So he's all arrogant and confident. And if, if it wasn't for Vince wanting to put the belt on Bret at the time, well, that would have been the logic. Like I said, yeah, there was a period of time where I think Vince didn't want to put the. didn't have, had no desire to put the world title on Sean, which is bizarre to think about. It especially, really is. Especially in the period we're looking at in your house, like, oh my god, look at Sean Michael. It's more bizarre to think he ever had an idea to put the belt on Brett. <laughs> Enough. And so he's... Any of them. Is that it? Prick. <laughs> See, even the ashtray hates him. <laughs> anyway, but like, this is the most we've seen Sean, because Sean by this point is, is known for his time in the Rockers, where he's uh, he's the, he was the high fly and things. Yeah. But you get to see a more... Sean Michaels, Marty Jannetty, the Rockers! You get to see that more technical side coming in, because he takes control of Brett for a long time, but the crowd are never really bored, because they're building up Anticipation wanting to see Brett make his comeback, and when he does make the comeback, yeah, he everybody, does. everybody everybody pops for it. And Brett was very like over at this particular pay per view. Well, Sean was Sean at that point was not more than an upper mid card heel. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest about that. It was not main event status at that point. And I think like Brett, uh, like they talked about before. I know you've had this many other challenge. You've been defending the belt. No, constantly you've been it more than any other champion, and they rusty his opponents. Virgil, the berserker, Abashango. <laughs> like, easy, murders, easy, murders room. Easy, but like there, I think it's why they had to put Sean in there, even though he, he wasn't quite proven as a main eventer. Fucking he, no. At yeah. that point, that was not in Maryland defending your title against Jobbers with a wage packet. It was like it wasn't. It was, Sean wasn't proven as a main eventer. Yeah, I think he does prove start to prove it in this match. Then he faces Razor, even though Razor's fairly new, and then faces the big monster at Mania. I think they were kind of desperate. They basically thought, who do we have currently that's the main eventer who we can actually put against Brett as a valuable threat to take the WWF Championship, which yeah, is like... would have been Sean. And, and Sean, like so Sean, Razor, and even Yoko all take advantage of their opportunities. And Sean's especially here because Sean works over Brett 
a lot in this match, and then Lovett quickly, and he very quickly, it's always weird to see like people verbally cemented the sharpshooter, because I'm not used, I forget how late on tapping out actually came into, and I come in, but I really like this, and also, it's a real example of a straight up, one-on-one match, Brett v Sean, at this point, they still like each other, still respect his knee. There's no politics, there's no shenanigans, no, no. Gimmicks, no gimmicks to it. It's just a straight up one on one. Who's better? And on this occasion, Brett wins. And that doesn't mean he was better. Oh, he was on the night. <laughs> so, I think like the fact that obviously, I mean, people think of Brett and Sean, they oh man, they hate each other. 97 or all that Ironman match, which divides the pain. But I think because of those two matches, they really, those, this one really highs. It's lost in shuffle because it doesn't have, like I said, any special gimmicks or any controversy around it. It's just yeah, straight it's up a great match, match of, uh, of two of the best singles guys that they had at the time. Yeah. Sorry about my long-winded explanation of it, but no, that's it was, my thought. That's it my was number great five. Match. It was. And I put it up number five because I thought it has to be right at the top because, again, some people won't see it as underrated because, and plus, I can't, I can't put it lower than any of the other matches that I've got later on. No, so. no, no. Well, see, I'm, I'm, I have my system going five at the lowest and one at the top. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm going. Like, it has to be mm. the lowest because these other ones are definitely more obscure. No. Well, not obscure, but lower, less talked about than this one. If we're on to my fourth now, sure. my fourth is from Royal Rumble 96. Ah, right. And it is the IC title match between Razor Ramon and Goldust. Have to admit, I I actually haven't seen that match. Please do. But yes, I, don't I, know end, I believe that to be a severely underrated match, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because you think about it, right? You think about the psychology that mm-hmm. Dustin Rhodes put into that character, uh-huh. and the way in that early period of Goldust, you're talking about the whole gay fear thing and the is he isn't he thing. He played on that particular mm-hmm. in this match particular because I mean say what you want right and I've watched a couple of YouTube things with Stone Cold talking about and he all I agree with Stone Cold says Dustin was a fucking even though it was not utilized properly in WWF technically fucking great wrestler Mm -hmm. Dustin Rhodes oh he's a natural of course no but he was great (laughs) so he was and see sometimes like see when he was a face Mm -hmm. like in that early 96 1997 run before he went heel again <laughs> some of the fucking shit that guy could pull off in the ring like let's not forget the guy was a powerful guy yeah powerful wrestler great wrestler Dustin Rhodes but the psychology in that particular match with Goldust and Razor because you know Scott Hall Razor he's a, he's a manly man you know right <laughs> and the whole thing during this match like Razor's doing his usual offence Goldust doing his freaky offence you know getting good hits in and there's great psychology. There's a point during the match yeah. where Goldust looks like he's about to get uh, Razor like in a, in a Phil Nelson. Yeah. And he gets him. And then just as he's about to get him in a Phil Nelson, he starts rubbing his hands <laughs> down his chest. To which Scott Hall genuinely looks yeah. fucking disgusted. He he whacks Goldust's horns away and tells him, like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> also we hear the stories of, like, oh, he, didn't, he didn't fuck on all like, his kids tuning out of TV and seeing another man rubbing him. Uh, yeah, but, like, getting rubbed up and then you've got that fucking, like, uh-huh. ultimate heel finish. It was tied in because it went and it gave Dustin his first IC title win. Mm-hmm. There was great build-up to the story what with all the things, like, he would send Razor, like, love notes and... Yeah. Art, like portraits of himself and 
things like that. And then you see like in the in the package before the match. Yeah. You see the scene where Goldust in the corridor talking to someone and kind of rubbing himself and shit. <laughs> and then Scott Hall runs in in his fucking jeans and his little jacket and beats Eleven. <laughs> Piss out of Goldust, like pummels him, yeah. battles him with a bin, throws him outside into the snow, smacks him there. Yeah. Just for he's like fucking creepy bastard, and they battle you. <laughs> people people cheering a bit too much to be comfortable nowadays. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Razor's prone before it and he's like, the gold dust, you, what, you, you love the bad guy, <laughs> you want the bad guy, the bad guy oozes machismo, <laughs> the usual Scott Hall yeah. Razor thing, you know, but in the finish, led into like, like, a lot of people say it's a bit meh kind of program, but you know, like the heel turn of the kid, Yeah. like, Razor's about to get going, he's about to finish the match, kid jumps up on the turnbuckle, Whip kick right in the face, yeah. gold dust wins, mm-hmm. and he pins him in a creepy way. <laughs> you know, I just I just think it's a fucking awesome match, like, and it's it is a lot to do with. I'm biased because I fucking loved gold dust. Yeah. I loved Razor too, but fucking loved gold dust. Like Mister Perfect even says, like the like, great laser. Now gold dust has all the gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. And he even has like the gold strap for for a little while, and. It did. Do you? I know you had the gold strap for it, and then he went to a few kid getting involved. So that leads into the end your house match, which would have been, which is a serviceable match. Uh, would have been much better if they didn't include the the diaper and all that crap. He had it. the gold strap, and then he had to lose it to Ahmed Want Biscuit. Uh, who then got injured like two months later, even if he, if that. He won the title and then got injured every time he fucking moved. The big idiot. Fucking what? Do you know? I'm happy I heard that story with Dio fucking stretch the bastards. <laughs> Try to act hard in front of Dio, and Dio's like, fuck you, cunt. <laughs> I'll deal with you. Like, do you think that if Skull didn't leave, because also they might have a rematch with me, do you think that Goldust would have had to rip the tail for as long as he did, or do you think there was a chance he probably could have lost that he raised her at WrestleMania? I don't think he would have lost it. I think by that point, I think even though like his character was controversial, uh-huh. I think... Vince always saw money in that, mm-hmm. so I don't think he would have lost the rematch. Yeah, I think, and even if he did, I think if we could have tied Scott Hall down and gotten the re-sign, yeah, I think there could have been a program between him and Goldust. Yeah. You know, like the whole it was a whole program between Razor and Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, it could have been a program of that kind of length. You know, it could have been a couple of matches. It could have been a couple of big matches. Maybe at a SummerSlam. Yeah, maybe at like a. Maybe like an in your house or something. I don't. I don't know if it'd have been at the level of a WrestleMania match. Yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, it could have been. It could have been an early match or something. Well, a lot. Yeah. <coughs> the, uh, the Razor feud with Chad and the one we go. Let's do Casper somewhere, and that both of them the big first big moments and both feuds involve a Royal Rumble title change because at Rumble '95, Chad beats yeah. for the title, and then it does feel like at this point Scott Hall was starting to be used as somebody to help. Elevate Vince, all the guys. Vince elevate guys that Vince had faith in. It's like the idea of how quickly goes as his first match. I believe it's in your house four, and then which is in October, and by January, you know he's got the secondary bit on the company. Which I think the idea of putting other guys over, and he probably thought he still had value, may have played into why he chose to leave in the first place. So that's interesting. Number four, Paul. Uh, we'll go on to my number four now, and it does also include Bret Hart, but there's a twist in this one, right? Go on. Now we think of the like the attitude there particularly because like. 
through it's new during the new gen that we get Monday Night Raw, we get like proper weekly TV, not just like big blocks of team like superstars yeah. actions and wherever the fuck you, they were doing at the time. But uh, you think of the actually a lot of the big moments happen on like a Raw or something like that more often than that. Yeah, and some of my baby, but a lot of them on Raw. You don't think of a lot of big TV moments from Raw in the new gen era because there was a lot of you know gimmick character squash matches shit like that. Yeah, but this one is a Raw match. Uh, it's a TV match. One that I highlight, something that is we highlighted in our era where TV matches didn't should, didn't get a lot of praise. Uh, it's from the July eleventh, nineteen ninety four episode of Raw, where Bret Hart would defend the WWF Championship against the One Two Three Kid. Ooh. A match. Mm. Now after I watch this on YouTube, it's available on YouTube. You can go watch it its entirety. I don't believe I've seen that. I've, I might have seen it, but the one I watched a rare one this morning. Uh, a WWF title match between Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Yeah. yeah. With uh, Leaf Cassidy in oh. Jannetty's corner and <laughs> obviously Jose. Uh, Jose. Jose. What was his name? Jose. Lothario. Lothario. Yeah. Super suck. <laughs> I think Lothario was meant to be like some sort of like, maybe me like ladies man or playboy. And, and it's basically like, there's a group of uh, good looking uh, Young guys, young mates and guys in WWE right now called Lost Lotharios. They're a tag team on SmackDown. Lost Lotharios? Yes. Anyway. They might shaggers, are <laughs> Apparently. But uh, <laughs> one, this is mostly uh, shortly before Brett's upcoming match with, with uh, the one at SummerSlam. Because the one in the Anvil come out first, like, they were angry like, that Brett's giving the kid a title shot. like, no, I don't want him risk him beating you. I want to win the title and I want to win it from Brett to prove I'm better. And they get shooter like, fuck off, this is Brett's, Brett and Kid's thing. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. You get an interesting raw commentary team of the Macho Man and JR on this show. Pre-Bell's palsy high pitch. I'm JR. What a maneuver. Good old Macho. Ooh, yeah. Dig it, dig it. <laughs> but anyway, so like, this is like one of the first premier, like, big, this is the biggest match of kids' career up on this, to this point. Sorry, I just, I just got a weird-ass fucking image in my head. What? Imagine, right? You know how you said... Macho Man and JR, right? Yeah. Now, imagine if you will, if JR's voice came out of Macho Man <laughs> and Macho Man's voice came out of him, if if JR had that voice... Well, would, wait, do you mean as in JR this period or JR later on where you like, hear Macho Man go, by God, by God. By God, he killed him. Dig it. <laughs> by God, you want some excitement? Happy with a Slim Jim, damn it. <laughs> anyway, but... And he, Sean Walton was going to say this was the match that helped him get established in the, the company. Like Brett helped him. What so, now? I'm by God, he slapped Elizabeth. <laughs> hey. He slapped her, by God. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm done. But Sean Walton was going to create this, like, the match that really helped him become like established as an actual star in the company. And like he would be going to be like a trusted guy for Vince like, for years onwards. Because like, whenever a new guy came in to see if they could go in the WSL, they were put in there with Sean Waltman. I think yeah. Vince showed how much he could trust uh, not only Brad but Kid as well by watching the, the two of them wrestle. This gets like 20, 25 minutes almost, including ad breaks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, well, not actually, maybe actually 20, 20 minutes, including, including yeah. ad breaks. So, because this is pure with Raw as an hour, so for a match to get that amount of time was very rare because it was usually squash match, squash match, bit of a promo, squash match. Some established guy winning a match very yeah. easily. So for this match to get basically half the show. Yeah, that was a big deal. And like, there's a couple... It kind of came into the spotlight recently this match, which is why it's only four, because uh, 
CM Punk and Darby Allen repeated some of the spots yeah. from this match with like Brett, with Punk in the Brett role and Darby in the kid role. And you, what, if someone's put the fridge outside by saying, like, kid surprise and Brett taking him down and, sh- that- showing, and showing how good he is and Brett can. Uh, all yeah. right, all right. I'm sorry to cut into this here, but I know we're pressed for time sure. here and such, but is that something that generally happens quite a lot in the professional wrestling? business you know like like matches being repeated or certain spots in matches being occasionally or sometimes people like to throw it out tribute because like, i think yeah i think punk does look up to like one of his favorite I think his all-time favorite punk is roddy piper but i'm sure brett brett is one of his is one of his favorites and his also favorites. the idea of like brett more than not being kind of a was like kind of an, a veteran compared to some of the younger guys so yeah. the idea of him playing that role to someone like a derby other guys in AEW. Like, I don't say I'm not saying he thinks he's still as good as, as Bret Hart, but you know, I don't, yeah. I don't know him personally. But, I mean, you could think of that. If there's one guy you could look up to in a wrestling sense, it's yeah. Bret Hart. I mean, uh-huh. the guy was like, was not a hold that man did not know, you know. <laughs> and so like, it was a case of like Bret occasionally had to like surprise kind of like a random like got shot to the gut or a bit yeah. of so, And I think it was either Macho or Jr. I can't remember, but what one of them says a very good line. The idea of like that's him telling the kids, you know. You want to, because also kids surprise me first. Like kids, like you want to take this towel. I'm gonna to make you earn this victory. Yeah. And and they, and he like there's even like the spot because whenever a kid gets a spot, the crowd actually surprised. Like oh god, like he does a spin kick and then he has a knuckle which sends Brett tumbling over the top. The crowd at the tape. Yeah, going, the crowd are hot for it. I'd like to think this maybe would be early in the raw teams because they used to tape like four weeks of raw in the one, and usually you could tell when it was taped later in the taping because the crowd are like, oh, so drained of them. But they're going mental this match and there's a point where Kid takes ages to climb up the top rope. He could drive off, off and finish Bret Hart, but Brett manages to get up in time. He catches his legs, gets in the sharpshooter and Kid knows also how painful this is and good the fact that he didn't always win a lot. He immediately is like, like, yeah, like, get me out of this yeah, fucking yeah, thing. I don't want to be in this. Because they've been wrestling for like 20, nearly 25 minutes, but yeah, but yeah. both of them used that 25 minutes well. They really yeah. showed off in that one. And the idea of this is so close to the match with, with Owen, which is which was rated five stars at the time. Yeah. Uh, they like Brett taking the time just to do this. We said, we I don't know how Kid got the title shot, but just the idea of him basically saying on the way there, like, look, this is a guy who you can rely on for years because he's still, like, very young, mm. was, was the kid. I think maybe uh, mid-20s course, Sean Waltman was about that you, time. You talk about like, the match coming up with Owen. Mm-hmm. Kid... Especially at that time, did wrestle a kind of similar style to Owen as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's a match that a lot of people like to talk about, like one of the best, like short matches. Cause, like, it was, like it only goes like three or so minutes, but the semi-final match at that year's kind of was Owen v one two three kid, and they yeah. just go like a, and they just go like a thousand miles an hour, boom, 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 like, like everything, like a yeah. thousand things in these three minutes. And I think like Owen wins quickly because like uh, kid has like a key injury from his first round match, so Owen quickly takes advantage of it. Yeah, and so he can secure himself and make himself more fragile for the final round. I almost put that on my list. But I think there are a few people who remember that a bit too well for it to be included in, as underrated. But I think yeah. it's a matter of perspective. But I put this in there because again, I think it was the biggest thing for kids since you know the whole razor thing that made him a proper part of the show. Yeah. But then, then Morphin on the gym, he was kind of around before his heel turn. But in this, there was this wee spot here where he was like elevated up and like look. This is a fucking future star here. And was he part of the backstage group by then? And you know what I mean, the click. I think he would have been by then, because the click were around for a wee while before Hunter uh, arrived. So they yeah. were around like mid-94. Fuck's sake, Aldo Montoya was technically in the click. <laughs> like, I think they were around 94 because they talked about, they saw the story in a click documentary, I think would have been around the time where they had the, the SummerSlam thing with like Sean and, and Diesel win the tie deals because Diesel was going to drop the, the belt 
the IC belt to read. They're like, oh, yeah, it's a big man without a belt. And they joke about somebody walking by like, damn, man, how many belts do you guys need? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my uh, number four. Uh, like, like I said, like in an era where the, the raw product, like in terms of team matches, there weren't many matches stand out. This is the one that deserved to have a highlight on. Yeah. Well, that was very good number four. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, it's on YouTube, so seek it out if you can. Yeah. Well, we're now on to my third. Mm-hmm. And this match is probably known, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I personally feel it's underappreciated. Right. We did say it without saying it, personal opinion as such. Yeah, right? yeah, it's my opinion. My third pick. Pick. <laughs> pick. <laughs> my third pick is from In Your House 2. Ah. July 23rd, 95. Uh, the 6,482 attendance with a 290,000, no, 280,000 buy rate. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of added info for the peeps there. <laughs> but uh, the match that I am picking for my third is the intercontinental title match between Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett. Can I just say before you go in further, I'm happy you chose this because by the narrowest of margins, I missed out on my five. Wow. By the narrowest of, like, in my... Like, how, I, you, can, you can attest how close my fingers are. I can't wait to find out what beat it. Yeah, I, I, it could have been on my list. You've seen two of them so far, but, like, it was so good that... Like, it's much like why I didn't put any Brett's matches from King of the Ring on. So it really was. I mean, this match was just... You know, this was two guys... Very similar styles at the time, I mm-hmm. might add, but two guys putting their best into a fucking match. Uh, and and the outside interference as well added to with the roadie, he was really good in this because he was he in this match and it just goes to show just how good a fucking wrestler yeah. Road Dog is, right? Mm-hmm. But he in this match particular didn't they so much add like, act like a like a snivelling wee lackey or a yeah. manager like we usually did. He acted kinda like a tag team partner would. Yeah. Like if a tag partner was on the outside, because he he really did hit Sean with some stiff hits. Yeah. You know? And um, so I just want to say, like, yeah, yeah. But part of the reason I did put it on is because I remember raving about this match when we did uh, In Your House 2. Yeah, yeah. Because In Your House is where a bit of a struggle, but there was always a standout match, and this was that from that one. Yeah. And, like, part of the reason I did put it on because when I remembered all the good bits in it, it's the same reason I didn't put any of Brett's matches from King of the Ring 93 on my list because I'd feel too guilty about calling it underrated because it's just so good as a match. And, like, the idea, like, this is basically, like, Vince is going convinced that already I think by this point that Sean's like the guy but he wants to run with Diesel for a bit so he's making him his kind of number two guy by giving him the belt and like the thing with the road is you're saying like he's he's such a pest to show for this match he's what gives yeah. uh, Jeff his advantage for much of the match and then ultimately he's what causes Jeff's downfall yeah, because of the yeah. miscommunication which was mainly to a feud between the two that never happened because they both buggered off yeah it. and then they came back and done it anyway and it was crap yeah and then they, had, <laughs> they basically they did it without Double J by just bringing Brian Beck is the real Double G, Jesse James or whatever. Yeah. But no, this match itself, I mean, some of the spots in that match, like two of them I'd like to point out, and one of them is pretty big, <laughs> one of them's kind of not so, but the first one is a point where Sean is going towards the corner with Jeff Jarrett, and he goes right over. And I've seen the spot and the way he landed, I thought that must have been what started his back trouble. <laughs> you know, because he goes right over the fucking corner buckle. Yeah. Right down, bump on the back, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, ah. Sean, and Sean, oh, you go, you go. Sean, especially when he's a heel, but he did it as a face, but he was very flared esque in the how he sold. Because, like, 
There's a spot I'm going to mention in that red match where he does the thing where he does his big flop in the corner and then he lands on the ropes and takes the big over the top with the, the face is shaking the ropes. Yeah, yeah. He, he was very given and sometimes in his cell and not quite the the Hogan level. Thing, so no, but giving. That was giving level, not fuck you, Hogan. Not, not I'm going to make you look like a cunt level. He wasn't quite taking the piss. But no, like, that spot in the corner, that was great. And there was one move in the match that I really appreciated. It was that, like, just quick, like, stand and drop kick that Jarrett done. Uh-huh. And he snapped into that drop kick in the same way that Michaels tends to snap into the super kick. It just, like, boom, like yeah. that. And, you know, like I say, the roadie coming in. Like doing a high spot off the corner, mm-hmm. Jarrett doing what I thought looked like quite a stiff, you know, face off the fucking steps. Yeah, like he he caught Sean. It looked like it. It looked like he actually bumped him. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like you say, the miscommunication at the end. Like Jarrett goes to the Irish whip, gets reversed. Mm-hmm. Rodi no realizing. Yeah. And grabs Jarrett and then turns away and he's like, "Oh yeah, cool, cool." <laughs> And then, boom, super kick. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. New IC champ. Great ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, even though he's, yeah, he's champion in one of the other matches, uh, I mentioned he looked a lot better, Sean. He was the one. Some guys sit the black strap, some people sit the white. Sean, especially the way he dressed at that time, he suited the white strap. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. He looked good. He uh, looked good. So that's a, that's a still, but it's a, a pick. I, I, I do believe it's underrated, but it deserves to be talked a bit more because... I think a lot of it because Jeff Jarrett's involved and Jarrett for a lot of years sometimes rightfully sometimes not so rightfully became you know the butt of a joke from some people at times you know I mean I, I dislike the fact how much he booked himself as the main guy in NW, yeah. the early NWA TNA days but he it can't be denied that he was technically a great wrestler as in not as in technically but as in technically in the way the right yeah, wrestling yeah. sense of the world and he's a great athlete but I think it's because more than that he excelled in matches like this for the IC title but he always saw himself as higher as the main eventer, and I don't I think it was hard for him to admit, he, was ref, he refused to kind of admit that maybe he wasn't quite that kind of level of a guy. Yeah, because he, don't get me wrong, he could fucking go. He was yeah. totally totally Sean in that match. He mm-hmm. could go, yeah, but yeah, he, sure. just, he just didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. He just didn't have that. It'd be a great foil for like a couple of weeks, for a couple of months, like that guy chasing the face jam. I mean, it's the heel. I never fully really wanted to see him, whether in WCW or in. TNA as the world champion, you know? Yeah. And also, I think what we can call underrated in this era too, stubbly Sean. Beardy <laughs> stubbly Sean. Sean. You know, that was, I liked that look. Stubbly <laughs> Sean, and there are a few clips of Stubbly Sean looking absolutely out his face during this period. I know. <laughs> but then he still looked cute, even out his face. So. But that was my number three. That's a still, if I'm glad if we got to at least talk about that match for a little bit on this. Cute, if it wasn't on Cute Beardy Sean in a great match. <laughs> But like this one, I think really definitely determined being underrated for my number three because it's something that people forget about the new gen that they had, and they do talk about the negative sides of it, and rightfully so. Then, but they forget that there was a women's championship. Yep. In in ninety four and eighty five, and then the whole bin bit when they talk yeah. about that version. That was that, that wasn't who I assume you're going to talk about. Well, that that was Medusa. Yeah, but when she was Alundra Blaze. She did have one match that I think stands out above the brief time that she was given proper time on TV and pay-per-view. And that's a match we've covered before from SummerSlam 94 when she faced Bill Nakano. Yeah. The second match on the card. I remember that being kind of a sleeper head of the show because we had to also the Brett Owen Cage match. The Taker match, it's fun to laugh at the silliness <laughs> of it. What was that again? The, no, 
there's only four of take or v take. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a bit. Yeah. It's fun to laugh at, but like, but then you've got this under kind of the second match. They're lucky to get less under ten minutes. You got Linda Vachon in in uh, Bull's corner. Like the idea, these two they faced a lot, lot in Japan and everything, and well, they brought Bill in because also the the, the like wasn't it shallow? It's like a puddle. The this women's division, you know. Yeah. That's, <laughs> There are bloody paddling pools with more depth than that women's division at the time. I think the women, he was talking about the depths of the women's division. You know, where be puddles you get at the side of God. Aye. Aye. One of them. Aye. But, You'll be annoyed if you step in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, I stepped on a linder place. <laughs> got, got oh, it fuck, I stepped on Bill Nacano, run like fuck. Oh, Jesus, my bloody Louis Vachon soaked my shoe. <laughs> I'm going to move on from that. Cause I, I, think we should, I think we should. Yeah, but it's a hell of a match because basically the idea of like shape. they took a lot of the elements from their matches in Japan and basically thought okay we've got like seven or eight minutes or so no. let's just run through the biggest highlights as beat for beat and make like, it look as good as we can make yeah, it. And they got they managed to get a decent response at the crowd who really I'm not saying they they didn't they hated women wrestling. I'm saying they didn't they weren't given a reason to care about uh, seeing we, women wrestle. We did we didn't have enough opportunity to appreciate women's wrestling. Mm-hmm. Because whenever there was women's wrestling in the WWF at the time, it really wasn't given the platform it should have been given. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, you want to talk about women's wrestling, women's wrestling now is way on a level yeah. past where it had ever been. And like, the idea of bringing Bill in, because like, there wasn't that many challenges properly for Alundra at the time. So, no, I mean, who did she have? Bertha Faye? Uh, Leilani Kai, they were R in for Rentmania. She was decent. Weirdly, they had Luna on the outside, never thought to maybe have Luna take the belt off oh, of Alundra no, at that, any point. That always annoyed me that Luna never got a run with the belt. What well, was frustrating me with her, they had Luna's dark side of the ring and they had Alundra talking about them as fellas. And like, one time she wanted to just do, like, do a match to the show and just drop the belt. Hey, Luna, so what, what was the worst thing they could do? And yet they never at any point addressed the supposed rumours that Luna supposedly hated Alundra Blaze yeah. behind the scenes. So I was annoyed they never addressed that. But they just kind of throw everything they've got. They make uh, Bill look like the biggest threat to Alundra, like because she's on just selling a lot and she's doing all these really cool submission moves that nobody would have seen at the time. Like kind of like a version of the Boston crowd, the double leg, but she's using two legs under one arm. Yeah, I've seen like that. That kind of one where she kind of flips her over. She's got like the legs tied. Hooks the eyes and lifts her up page. We go and use that. Yeah. We use, but like for 94, people in America seeing that, they'd be like, what the fuck is yeah. that? What, women actually wrestling? I know. And like, she Laundra won a lot of matches with her bridging, like German Sulek, which was a class move. Oh, it was, was, and she but, done it well. But she didn't use that. She waits, for, Bill goes for the, like, the ledger, takes too much time, she moves out of the way and then kind of rolls her up. The idea of like, she's finally got a big fair that she couldn't even use on me furniture. She had to basically get the one where she could by rolling her up. Mm. and finding that opening and then they continue the feud off TV in Japan because well they both wrestled in like all Japan women's which that's where women's wrestling was being taken seriously but not so much in the US at that point yeah. so you know the idea of like the fact that the non almost non-existent women's division actually did produce one or two standout matches that I did want to put in the spotlight this one particularly because I remember watching it I knew I'd enjoy it but I was even then I was surprised because these are the probably the two best women's wrestlers Going in America, if not the world, at that point, yeah, that I thought it was it was nice to bring a comment because the idea of like nobody talking about the women's division other than the new jet, other than the fact that Lundra then took the belt at WCW and dropped it in the bin means obviously you probably people probably wouldn't know about this match, so I wanted to bring it here today. Well, very good and a great a great selection if I do say so. Mm-hmm. But we are on to my second to last now. Well, number two, I'm interested. Number now. two, and. Kel Surprise 
<laughs> it is from an in your house. In your house. It's from In, in Your, your house. house, It's Time. Oh, we haven't gotten to that one yet. But, da, 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 it's an IC title match. Mm-hmm. Between Hunter Hurst Helmsley ah. and the wild man, Mark Merrill. Ah. Yes. We've seen them so far in In Your Houses, but we've not gotten to this match yet, so please. Well, I believe this to be a great match. This match comes... At the time period where Hunter Hurst Helmsley has beaten Goldust yeah. for the Intercontinental title. And I think but no, he beat Mark Merrill for it. Oh no, he was, it was because, that's what it was, he was interfering, he was put, putting the moves on Marlena. Yeah, they were in a feud for the that title that it. time, yeah. They were in a feud for the title, yeah. he was putting the moves on Marlena and I yeah. think this was the time period where they were kind of moving Goldust towards a more face. Yeah, and how did they do it? By admitting he wasn't gay. <laughs> yeah. Shit. So it's down there by the Oh cool, cool. But um so this match goes on and obviously he's taking the title off Wildman. Mm-hmm. This is Wildman's, you know Rematch. Rematch as it were. Yeah. Now whereas I believe we have time for an entire show how we completely under underutilized and fucked over Mark Merrill. Mm-hmm. Whereas other times for that. But this match, I think, it really does show off the skill of both these guys, mm-hmm. both in character-wise and in ring ability, because we all know that Triple H was a great technical guy. Yeah. And there's a lot of great technical and great heel spots in this match from him too. Yeah. And we see Mero's, you know, we see his great high-flying ability. He has mm-hmm. great technical ability too. There's some great back and forth in this match. Hold on a minute. What? You said in your house it's time. That's from December 96. I thought we were cutting this off at SummerSlam. Is this from December 96? Yes, it's time. Well, it's still in 96. I... You, you're you really pushing the boundaries here, aren't this you? There's one. There's one. And my last one's awesome. Is, it, is your last one at least before SummerSlam? My last 96? one was in 93. Good. Okay. Fine. But this match, I think, still... And the most technical of sides still falls within the window, okay? But it is a great match, and as I say, great technical stuff from both of them. And also, I love the fact that during this match, we get to see something not often seen in any of the eras mm. at this point. When Triple H is trying to pull the heel shit on the referee, and he turns around and he fucking, mm. you know, points at Triple H's chest and pushes up, <laughs> and tri- like Hunter Hearst Helms actually falls into the corner... And a little taken aback with a back the fact that Earl Hebner was like, he's like, fuck you, cunt. <laughs> like, you fucking behave and you do what I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And it's going on and, you know, Hunter's going for the finish. Merrill gets a couple of bits, blah, blah, blah. You know, but when it comes to it, right, in the defining moments of this match, Merrill's coming in, trying to fucking clothesline Helmsley. And fucking takes the ref out mm-hmm. now I love this spot particularly because when do you ever see a ref taking a proper bump mm-hmm. it's usually you know? just a it's usually just oh I have fallen oh the indignity oh the indignity <laughs> you done uh, <laughs> you know but Meryl like really comes in and he's like you know thinks he's going to really end up outside and then Goldust makes his presence known 
Uh, comes in, <laughs> takes the title, goes to Wack Helmsley, misses him, knocks the fuck out Merrill, and then goes, fuck, and then turns around and knocks Helmsley out anyway. Ah, fuck it. And for fuck a penny it. and for a penny. fuck, knock the two of them out. That means I'll get the one I wanted anyway. <laughs> and then Errol Hevner wakes up, kneels on in the ropes, and he's like, starts the count. Yeah. And the two of them don't move. And then just at about nine, Meryl flops back in the ring again. And it's like, count out. Uh-huh. And he gets his win. Mm-hmm. But he still does the wild thing anyway and walks yeah. out with the fucking belt. <laughs> I think that match is underutilised quite a bit. Un- underappreciated quite a bit because basically Meryl was his entire run, I think. Yeah, I think it's basically this period because like, people forget, like when they think of Meryl this... And like a bit WAF to think of like wild man post injury doing his boxing misogynist like no don't cheer for Sable gimmick <laughs> the boxing misogynist yes that's <laughs> basically a, a, great, a decent summary but like misogyny man like even like a year or two later nobody would have thought Mero versus uh, Triple H as a decent feud but like this is the perfect time for because Triple H is back in the in the good graces yeah, after being it. shit on. And like he's he's a detestable heel. Where well, man's still athlete. This is pre-injury where he still can do all his high flying because also he'd yeah. be limited after the knee injury that he would suffer. And so it was a, kind of the perfect time for them to have this kind of feud. So yeah, I, I don't I appreciate obviously you want to highlight the, these two as a spot. I just I'm just very frustrated about even though you were like oh no you said all oh, the outsiders but that which was clearly in July and you come to me with a fucking match in December the oh, latest I'm the sorry. latest I've gone in my list is ninety five okay that's the one in my five I've made a mistake with I apologise but you agree it's an underutilised match underappreciated y- yes because I haven't heard anyone talk about it but maybe I'll I'll agree with you more so when we get to it, it's time okay eventually Ooh, I'll shake my fist at you. Take harder, son. <laughs> anyway, I'll make myself feel better by going to my number two, shall What's I? your number two, then? Right. Come on, it's out from, with it. It's from 1993, and probably the reason it's underrated is because the show it's on is wildly panned for many good reasons. <laughs> and let's talk about WrestleMania 9 for a second, shall we? No. <laughs> I don't well, want to. Well, we're going to. Why? Whether you want to or not. <laughs> I don't want to, it's icky. If people think of the best match on that show, which has very few highlights. Some people might say, oh, the show opener with the tank of, I would, that loses points in my book because uh, it ends on a fucking count out and everything. So I'm going actually for the second match on the card, which actually does rightfully hold the title being the best match on that shit card, which is the Head Shrinkers taking on the Steiner Brothers. Ah. That is a still, I mean, the Steiners run in the early, late 92. The 93 run is kind of overlooked anyway. Oh, yes. Because they, they did so much. They get this match at Mania. They won the tag title a couple of times, feeding with Money Inc. And then. Yeah. They had well, some fantastic matches, even with the Beverly's yeah. as well. They, well, Scott, they were both maybe in the main event of Summer Surprise, but then Rick gets like Cave, we've taken out, replaced with Undertaker, but Scott at least gets the big feature. Ironically, I think it was Scott, uh, Vince wanted to push Scott as a singles guy, it's caused him to go back to WCW. And little would we know that Scott would be the standout singles man. Yeah. But you get to see, you know, like, also you get to talk about weird commentaries. You've got Matt Show, you've got JR and Bobby Heenan, the three man team on this. You've got the head shrinkers and the Steiners, like, you got Fatu doing his big inside out. God's bump. sake. A golden era attitude and new gen commentator. Fucking hell, eh? And, like, you got. 
Uh, you got Fatudo, he's big inside of him, which is cool to see. You got Rick getting worked over, and no, Scott gets worked over, so Rick can come in. And there's like, for, even though there were reportedly many casuals, the people who got for free at me, and they, they, they pop big for the hot tag to Rick. And yeah. although at this point, also he's always had the nickname the dog face growling, but Scott didn't get <laughs> properly start getting the nickname until he was big roidy, big right. couple of humps, Scott Steiner, and all that. So, like, there's a point where, where Macho Man tries to call Scott by a nickname, but forgets that he doesn't really have one, and goes like, Oh, the dark face grill and his brother, and his brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, uh, like, there's a really scary moment where they kind of overshoot on uh, like a slingshot eight or like a like drop you on flapjack on the ropes because Scott yeah. just goes tumbling over the outside. Those yeah. are, those are oh Jesus! Like, like yeah. even the bits they're kind of stereotyping at the time do look good because like the point where like where he goes to like slam. Uh, like one of the head trainers in the mat face first ball, so he hard head, he gets, poof, pops back up, super kick to the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like where he goes to coke, slam balls their heads together, they don't sell it, and they will grab him and go, double heat butt. <laughs> like yeah. Double like face buster in the mat. Like, it's a classic show, and like, it's better than the actual tag team title match that goes on later on, which is bloody the Mega Maniacs, Hulk Hogan and Brutus against Money Inc. Yeah. <laughs> like, whereas this is a proper quality tag wrestling that you didn't see at the time, and there's a spot here. Which you probably I don't think you've seen. I remember first seeing in twenty sixteen when American Alpha did it in a spot with the revival. But then getting out to see it in ninety three is even more stellar because uh, one of the head shrinkers has got I think it is up on his shoulders, and the other head shrinker dies off. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. And in mid air, Scott grabs him and flips over in mid air, countering it into a slam, <laughs> and the crowd go fucking mad. On the commentators, as soon as they know so they're losing their. <laughs> And then also it ends with Scott Steiner doing, when he's still very agile, do the Frankenstein. The Frankenstein. But the thing is, I don't know if he fully gets his legs around because he does his flip and he's almost completely his flip before the other string just goes and does his flip. <laughs> but like seeing the Steiners pretty much repeat, the head triggers are, who are in their own right, I think are very underappreciated oh, as, hell as yes. a tag team in that era. And they kind of got screwed out of losing their, their one and only tag team titles to fucking Diesel and Sean at a house show right before fucking SummerSlam. So, their names on the back of the damn tape I with know. the title I know uh, and the fact that the tape probably wouldn't come out till like at least a month or so after the show they knew that it wasn't a tag title show and they put it on anyway for shame yeah that disappointed me when I seen that tape I was like oh I'm going to see their head shrinkers with the belts did I fuck and I had to fortunately break that news too yeah I cried <laughs> you did but not uh, actually but a little bit inside just inside well like so, I, I basically say, don't watch Mania 9, but watch this match. <laughs> the only thing for Mania 9 worth watching. And there you are. Any thoughts on this? Have you watched this match before? Uh, I believe I have watched this match, and I believe I agree with you. I have not watched it in a while, though, so... Yeah, so like, it, it's basically uh, showing that in, even in this era, uh, you know, the worst WrestleMania, they could still put on a class tag team match. <laughs> But Paul, we're down to the nitty gritty. We're down to each other's number one. This Ooh. is getting very interesting. Do you know what would be really freaky? What if we're the same? They're not the same. You said yours is from ninety three. Mine's is from ninety five. Oh, we're all right, one. All right then, Paul. My number one. Remember, we're on personal opinion here. Okay. I hadn't really appreciated this match properly until I'd seen this tape. Uh huh. I didn't know of this match until I'd seen the tape. So that's how I believe it to be underappreciated because if it was as appreciated as I believe it should be, mm-hmm. I would have fucking heard of it before I seen the tape. Mm-hmm. My pick for number one, 
and I don't believe I'm going to have to say a lot about it, is from King of the Ring, 1993, the match between Mr. Perfect and Brett the Hitman Hart. Mm-hmm. And in my notes for this match, I have said, no words needed. <laughs> and then written, wrote a quote that Bobby Heenan said during the match. This is wrestling. This is great. <laughs> Bobby Heenan. <laughs> and I think that's all I need to say that's, on that match. I mean, if you've listened to our 93 kind of ring review, you heard us whack politically about this. And again, I was part, part of me wanted to put this on the mouse like I didn't. Reason I think reason I didn't do it like yeah. the, just I when I felt too guilty calling it underrated because it's just so good. But yeah. you know, like, how can this not be fucking talked about? Like, in fact, I think it's because a lot of people prefer the SummerSlam Night One match to this. But I even but this match is just so much technically better. Yeah, there's so much more to delve into in this one because yeah, you got the free up heel face thing. I think the heel face thing actually weakens the SummerSlam Night One match because. Yeah. Perfect's doing a lot of slow heel offense or selling and making his back injury worse when Brett's on offense. Whereas this one, that's kind of a there's protesting or like both of them are taking the face, but you know, it's played up to the being the defective heel because he knows that people will cheer Brett. Perfect goes back to some old habits during the match, which even makes Bobby Heen after he's going, oh, he's so ungrateful, but then he cheats like, hmm, I might if he wins this, I might consider being his manager again. <laughs> To which, to which I think it was said, like, oh, the best thing he ever did was get rid of you. <laughs> but no, even 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 when Perfect's doing the heel stuff, you think, oh, God, that's so fucking clever. Yeah. Like the spot where Brett's trying to hook in the sharpshooter, mm-hmm. and what does is, what is Perfect do? He starts working on Brett's fucking, yeah. like, heart fingers. Yeah. Just to slow him down, uh-huh. you know? And, and working Perfect's, like, fingers. The fact that he's got that perfect play, which causes him to have to link the fingers yeah, to hold yeah. your leg in place. If you can't hold your leg in place, it's easier to kick out. Because there was a period of time where, where he came in, where it was a case of, oh, nobody kicks out of the perfect place. Yeah, it was a very protected finisher. <laughs> and then, like, the end of the match, perfect tries to do something that Brett was known to do. Mm-hmm. You know, play possum on an injury. Yeah. And he tried to roll Brett up, but then it, Brett reversed it and the has been Brett's like, and, aha I'm onto you <laughs> yeah and the one two three and then you got the good bit because a lot of people would have thought the time perfect might have reverted to his heel status and maybe tried to attack Brett or something now he came in and just he didn't really shake his hand he just came to like high five and was like right fine you won fair dues <laughs> fair good is. respect left it a lot mm-hmm. and it just goes to show you it was like it was like now perfect's technically a face but he's not happy about losing this fucking match but he can be respectful about it, mm. be cool, and then when he when they interview him later, he's like, well, what the fuck? of course I'm upset I lost, <laughs> but Brett, Brett's a great wrestler, man, I'm not talking about this, fuck you, bye. Yeah. Well, like I said, like, it's not very much else you can say, it's just, if you watch the match, it speaks for us. Yeah, like, like the Bobby Heenan quote, less is wrestling, less is great, mm-hmm. That is, and that is fucking five-star great, that match, that is top-tier shit. Because also, you walk in your back, you know, obviously Brett's going to win, but like, at the time you were watching it, when you really think about it, either of these two as King of the Ring would be an excellent choice. This could Perfect have been the, King. This could have been the finals and it would have been an excellent match, you know? 
Well, can you imagine? <laughs> but yeah, that is my five. That is my pick. That, that is a stellar. There's some interesting ones in there. What number two? I question, but everything else I love. Everything else. Number I love. two, you question? Well, because oh yeah, yeah, well, that one. Everything else. Everything else I love. Everything else I love. Okay, cool. Now we're going to my number one. But first, I'll get mention of the spot because it's actually something I keep forgetting spots from the '92 match. I mentioned the <laughs> stuff, but there's a spot where Brett's got Sean a headlock. He keeps going to reach around and grab his hair, but every time he goes to the ref walking around, the ref goes to look back when when Sean does it, and Sean goes like, "Oop, yeah, yeah. Hand, and goes to do it again. Oh, that's how he's again. But this is a match it's, we've talked about, talked about it before. My number one. Yeah. These two wrestlers have also wrestled before. Yeah. And and, I'm, and I think this match is is overshadowed by another match that's talked a bit more, and it also includes Bret Hart. Oh, it says from in your house five, Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog. Ah, because that overall that in your house is not very good. That's <laughs> <laughs> putting it nicely. It's not very good. There were it's matches. There were matches that had the potential to be good, but they weren't. But we're not. And then you get this where Bret. Knows obviously he's only he's only holding this belt till many many way drops it to Sean, but he's wanting to prove himself on the way there. And thinks, look at let's have me and Davey had a great match. So let's have another great one. And he makes it look like an accident when he gets color, and he got so much kind of blood because like he's coming off the month prior where he and Diesel had that that spot where he accidentally went through the announce table and everything. They're showing a lot yeah. more violence and Brett showing that he can get a bit more. Or anything, and like, cut the Brett, they claim like Brett can't see because of the blood, or he's weakened because of the blood loss, yeah. which leaves him prone to the more stronger Davy boy. And you know, was he that, sober? Yes, at this point, he was. Yeah. It wasn't fucked. It was defucked. It was defucked. He <laughs> could actually remember the spot, so he gets worked over a lot. And like, the fact that there's like some smarts in the front row who are kind of booing Brett, like, because also they want to be like cool. And literally, as soon as Brett bleeds, they start getting yeah. on Brett's height. <laughs> and there's these female fans that are very angry, yelling at bulldogs, thinking because they, they think he's busted Brett Hart. Like, How could you? <laughs> but like, because like all the story going into it really isn't much there, and it the fact that it has blood adds a whole new dimension to a match that might have been lacking otherwise. Is and the story more akin to like you say your uh, pick for the Sean Brett match? It's just a a match. It's pretty much just a match. Like I know they they have Diana there again, like which is pretty much echoes all oh, basically what the whole story for some some night yeah. was. But and even though they're both quality matches, and like I could get into a debate on a whole different show, yeah. comparing the two, which one's better. But I think they do need to highlight this match as well because they play that up as just you know face to face with Brett slightly going heelish because they're in Davy's hometown. Yeah. But this one's clear. Davy is the heel. And Brett's the face, and Brett gets hurt, obviously, with the blood and everything. And Davey takes advantage, and it's all about Brett's struggle to get back. And eventually, he can't win with the sharpshooter. He has to, much like Davey caught him with a surprise roll, he has to catch Davey unaware in order to make it out with his championship because mm. he's losing a lot of blood. Yeah. So, yeah, I think also the fact that they got the colour, I think it adds a whole other thing. Which, and what allows would have been just a, a decent, you know, B show main event. But given also that Brett's next two matches, obviously, as much the history and would be overshadowed by the fact that they were building to Diesel versus Taker. Yeah. This one was just a straight up Brett versus Bulldog guy who, when Bulldog is paired with Brett, can have great matches. Yeah. And they just went at it and they made like it. Like you see, you got the colour from Brett as well. And they made it feel raw, they made it feel personal as a match. Yeah. And a match worthy of 
And when you watch how good the match is, you barely forget just how much shit you've watched up until this point. <laughs> that on match the helps. It makes you forget everything. Like, it shows how a great main event can you forget about an overall shit pay per view. That is such a true fucking statement. Mm-hmm. That is such a true statement. Mm-hmm. But there you go. We've talked about it already. We, well, that we've done an Engine House Five review. We've done Engine House Two. Obviously, we can talk. You don't. You look back on our thoughts on the Jeff Jarrett match. We've done King of the Ring '93. We've got, we were, I believe you've actually got your number five is a match from that show and your number one's a match from that show. Yeah. <laughs> is it funny how things work out? King of the Ring 93 bookends my choices. <laughs> it's such a good show, King of the Ring 93, isn't it? It really is. It really is. It really is. It's, the Got Lap match, Hogan loses. It's re- it really, when you compare it to, to every all the other, I said every other period, there's only five of them, but like, when you compare it to the other periods in 93, it really stands head and shoulders, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 I partly disagree with you because I like Rumble 93. Well, Rumble has its. Well, it's I mean, let's not forget Razor Brett at that. Yeah. And, uh, and Sean Marty and. Yeah, I, was uh, int- I, I thought maybe you'd bring that because I didn't know about that match until OSW did a show about kind of in, uh, Rumble 93, but like even the Rumble has some weak points, like Macho forgetting how Rumble's working, just like, who? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it was maybe just like a case of like he pushed them over the top rope, but he couldn't quite get him up enough. So Match has to get up, stand, then whoop, away it goes. Yeah, yeah. Can I mention? Uh, I would would have mentioned Brett Diesel. So a lot of people think it was Diesel's best match of the year, but it would be dishonest to me because I haven't actually seen it yet. <laughs> uh, Brett Razor Two Bladder Match at SummerSlam. I believe that again it gets overshadowed by the main event <laughs> ladder match and. You know, maybe he gets marked down because Sean there was a bit of a fit because things aren't quite going his way at the end. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, Brett v Hakushi from In Your House One. There's, a, there's an underutilized guy. Mm-hmm. We should do a show on him one day. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a hell of a show. That'd take a week. I remember watching that match from many years ago. They keep calling the modern day kamikaze. Like, why do they call someone the modern day insert thing here? Where I always think it's really like, why? Why is they the modern day version? Who was the previous day version of this? Like, I don't understand. What are you trying to say? <laughs> so there's that. There's so many other things. He looked so cool when he was in it. You could talk about Razor Brett from Royal Rumble, because, again, that's not really talked about. Like, one of the only... One of only a handful, maybe, of... Titles were, title shots. Of title shots in the, for the world title that Razor Ramon himself really got. There's not many stuff on TV, I mean, that you can talk about, like, from the Raws and all that, but there is some other... Like decent honorable mention, but I think we've got the best of the year. Let's not talk about and or both our lists, even yeah. if I disagree with one of your choices. I know, I know. Well, I mean, that's not because of the choice; that's because of the time period of yeah. the choice. Yeah, I uh, I almost I also suggested like Sean Owen from In Your House Six. I was thinking of using that one. You could also mention Diesel. Diesel, Sean from Good Friends, Better Enemies. That's such good a good match. That one I didn't pick for the same reason that you didn't pick all the ones that I picked. Because we did wax lyrical about good friends, better enemies. Mm-hmm. Me in particular was quite humoured about the whole entrance. Yeah, because like they're like, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> dropping his big coat and McMahon, McMahon going, "You're lucky, you're going, you cunt." Like, <laughs> and like, I think I said these matches, I like them; they're so good. I just can't put them on under eight. But then you did put them on, which goes to show 